Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. I'm joined today by Molly. Hi, Molly. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking and for joining me. I'm so excited to have you on. Ah, oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's start talking a, a little bit about you and who you are and where you're from and all that kind of stuff. Tell us about you. Okay, so uh, my name's Molly. I live in the UK. Um, I'm currently living in Hove. It's right on the south coast. Um, we literally moved a few weeks ago and we have a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful seafront apartment, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, so I am a dolphin advocate. Um, I work really closely with an organization called Rico Barry's Dolphin Project. Um, which helps to spread awareness about um, the negative impacts of captivity on dolphins um, and also the dolphin slaughter that happens in Japan. Very, um, I don't want to say exciting (laughs) stuff because it's not, but interesting, I think would be a better word. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very tough work, but it's, um, it's rewarding in some ways, but also quite disheartening in others, but it's it's a job that has to be done. So, um, yeah, just trying to trying to spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. So did you know that you always wanted to work in marine biology? It was like your goal from when you were a kid, or did it, you find it a little bit later on in life? So actually, as, um, as a kid, um, my parents used to take us uh, to Florida, which was always so magical for us. Like, we absolutely loved um, visiting the US and and being in a completely like different climate to the UK. Like it was obviously very different to where we grew up. Um, and I found out that I I loved dolphins when we were there. Um, we went on this boat trip and um, we saw wild dolphins for the first time. And I just absolutely fell in love. Couldn't imagine um, anything more exciting to me at that point than, than seeing dolphins it was amazing so um yeah like at the age of yeah I was about eight years old when um I realized that I loved the ocean um and at that point I decided and my parents had, had taken us to SeaWorld at that point too and um I decided that that was it my calling in life was to be a dolphin trainer I wanted to work with these animals and um yeah I, I was all for it um, so as as a child, like I went swimming with dolphins. I visited places like SeaWorld and, and other marine parks um, quite frequently, and um, loved it. Didn't think anything of it at the time. Just thought these dolphins looked so happy. They loved their trainers. The trainers loved working with them. Um, I, I couldn't think of anything better. And then I um, grew up a little bit older, and I. Uh, at school realized that science wasn't really my strong point and <laughs> I um I, I realized you needed a degree in marine biology to become a dolphin trainer and um I yeah kind of steered away from the science side of things and went on to more kind of creative things and the arts like more drama and English and stuff like that so I don't actually have any degree in yeah in biology or science or anything um, I'm an English graduate but my love for the ocean has remained throughout my whole childhood and and upbringing. Um, And I've volunteered ever since, um, like leaving university and stuff, I've volunteered on various uh, conservation programs. Um, But 
what got me to where I am now, particularly with dolphins, is from my stance on captivity completely transforming. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, like like I said, I was all for marine parks, thought, thought these spaces were magical and, and amazing and educational and conservational and everything. Um, and then uh, in my first year of university, I, I was recommended the documentary Blackfish. And I, have you seen it? I have. Yeah. So I I couldn't believe my friend was telling me like, oh, yeah, um, SeaWorld's such an evil place. And I was like, what? No way. Like, I, I used to love that place. Like, it's, it's the best place ever. Like, uh, surely, surely not. So I watched this documentary and um, I actually ended up watching it twice uh, on the spot, like, because I couldn't believe what it was saying. Like, that was the first time I ever had any inkling um, that these places were uh, just destructive. And mm. after watching it, um, I did a ton of research and, and just wanted to find out more about it because I, I didn't want to believe that my whole childhood had, had kind of been a lie. I'd just been completely deceived by these um, like money-making uh, corporations. And so um, I did a, a ton of research and, and ended up um, watching The Cove. Have you, have you also seen The Cove? Yeah. Yeah, so um, after seeing those and um, deciding to then write my dissertation at uni about um, about the future of marine parks, and I, I <laughs> at every point of my degree, I managed to literally engineer it. So um, whatever essay I was writing or any creative writing that I was doing, I, I wrote about dolphins and whales pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, it, yeah, it... it Obviously, I, I just learned so much more from that point. And I ended up going to this conference um, and meeting this whole community of like whale and dolphin advocates. Um, a lot of the people who were in the documentary Blackfish were there and um, they had all these presentations and talks and, and these events um, throughout that week. And I just made all these connections and then uh, found out that people were still um, volunteering in Taiji and, and going to Japan to document the dolphin slaughters and captures I didn't realize at that point that they were still happening but um yeah even even today like they're they're still hunting dolphins and trying to capture them and slaughter them um so I decided to then um sign up with with dolphin project and and volunteer and and go out to Japan myself um and ever since then yeah I haven't (laughs) haven't stopped really I think it's very interesting that you started out like loving SeaWorld and whatnot because I feel Mm -hmm. like anyone that does have like this love for whales and dolphins you kind of do look at it with like almost not rose-colored glasses but like you're like wow like I can't believe I get to go hang out with these animals Mm -hmm. that I love so much and spend time with them and yeah yeah I remember being younger and seeing all my friends go on their trips and getting to like swim with dolphins and I was like yeah I want to do that like Mm -hmm. and we were in Florida one day and I remember we like drove by it and I kind of was like, mom, dad, like I'd like to do that. And they wouldn't let me. And at the time I was like, man, like why? And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, thank you. Like I would have felt so bad, like looking back at that. And so it's kind of really, it's almost, it's heartbreaking in different ways when you see these, when you first learn about the uh, problems of captivity. Cause I Mm -hmm. mean, in your head and heart, you always kind of know, but when you really, when it's solidified for you, your heart, breaks for the animals but then also for the loss of 
your ignorance almost. Yeah. Like, Man, like I can't believe I spent so much time yep. worshiping these and like enjoying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it just makes me feel horrendously guilty and I just want to try and put it right and, and yeah. try and make other people, well, help other people not to make the same mistakes that I did sort of thing. So would you say that's your biggest reason for wanting to do something in this field is to try and like educate people and almost yeah. right, not right your wrongs, but like, just mm-hmm. like make it so there's no one else does the same things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and to prevent other dolphins, like more dolphins ending up in the same situation as, as the dolphins yeah. that are, are in captivity today, because um, even though a lot of facilities breed dolphins now, um and the the dolphins don't like people say oh they don't really know any different because they've been brought up in tanks um there are still dolphins being captured um every year so mm. there there are still wild dolphins ending up in in tanks and and like i mean those dolphins who are born into tanks like it's it's no life for them they're not real dolphins anymore they're they're just puppets yeah. really being exploited So you do a lot of work with the Dolphin Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved in it? Yeah, of course. So um, Dolphin Project is a non-profit um, charity based in the US uh, that basically focuses on the welfare and protection of dolphins um, all over the world. And my job within that is being um, a lead cove monitor. So basically, I um, run the campaign in Taiji whenever I'm in Japan. Um, documenting the dolphin slaughters and captures that happen there um, so we can expose them to the rest of the world and and people can actually make the connection from like how dolphins uh, the dolphins they see in tanks how they got to to where they are um and yeah dolphins are hunted in taiji and and people not everyone knows but for, for six months of the year every single day every year dolphins are hunted there's nine different species um that they uh, hunt for and um, it just depends whether like how profitable they are how easy they are to train um, how high in demand they are um, depending on whether the dolphin is then sold on to an aquarium to be trained um, for human entertainment or if they're slaughtered for their meat um, the Japanese have a history of whaling but um, dolphin hunting only started in the 1960s um, literally coinciding when the captivity industry boomed, it became this multi-million dollar industry. Um, and they realized they could make a lot of money from selling live dolphins. And especially once those dolphins are trained, they can be sold for up to like 150 grand um, in US dollars per dolphin, which is just crazy. So the amount of profit that it brings in is, um, yeah, that, that, that's the reason that, yeah. that, that, that they're still hunting dolphins. Um, and that's why it's so important that, that we're there on the ground every year, every day, documenting what happens and, and yeah, showing it to the world. So, yeah, is that what you're doing when you're there is just documenting it and making note of what happens to be able to show people and so people can understand a bit better? Yeah, exactly. Like when we're there, um, we're followed by the police 100% of the time. So uh, when, when you first arrive, as soon as any Westerner arrives in the town of Taiji, they kind of know you're, you're here uh, for the dolphin aspect yeah. and um, they interview you straight away and uh, we're then followed 24-7 to make sure that we're not breaking the law um, and trying to intervene with the dolphin mm. hunters because if we were then we'd be arrested and then deported and then there'll be no one on the ground to, to document what happens there. 
but yeah, so we, we get up uh, really early in the morning, like four o'clock um, before sunrise, because the dolphin hunters leave the harbour um, on their boats just after sunrise. So we go straight to the harbour, um, we, we document them leaving, and then we, we go to a vantage point where we get a better view of their activity on the horizon. Um, and usually we can tell if they found a pod of dolphins by if they get into a formation. So they basically each boat just like lines up um, and then they lower these poles into the water and they hammer on the end of the poles. Um, the, the end of the poles that, that's in the water has like a bell shaped bottom. So it really amplifies the sound on the water um, and creates a wall of sound. And so these boats then herd the dolphins all the way towards um, the coast to, to this one lagoon uh, known as the cove, obviously. And once the dolphins are in the cove, they're netted in and they're either yeah either captured for their meat, uh, captured for captivity or slaughtered for their meat. And um, we stand there, we live stream the whole event um, and we just try and get as much footage as possible um, to then post on our social media channels and and expose so so that people yeah can see how these dolphins actually get into captivity and how they how unwillingly they come as well because it's it's a really traumatic experience it's, it's hard to watch um, and it's, and it's even even harder like not being able to intervene like especially when I don't know I've, I've loved dolphins forever so yeah it's um yeah it's it's, it's pretty tough but um it's got to be done. I think it's it's the most important thing we can do. And like, it's it's difficult because um, the Japanese do feel uh, kind of um, alienated. Well, and, and like criticised for for hunting dolphins, and and they're saying, well, it's, how is it different from you um, killing cows to eat or pigs to eat? Or um, it's it's no different. This is this is how we we um, survive. We we eat dolphin. But that's not the case because dolphin meat is so high in mercury poisoning. Um, but it's it's the captivity industry that um, like motivates the hunters to keep on hunting because the amount of money it yeah. brings in. Um, but but the thing is, it's it's a worldwide problem because there's there's captive facilities all over the world, all over Europe, all over the US, Australia, like um, and and Asia, and it's it's not Japan's problem. It's it's all of our responsibilities yeah. to not support these captive facilities so that they don't hunt dolphins any longer because if if there's no demand for them then they they will stop supplying them all the dolphins that we're seeing in captivity are not maybe not all but a heavy majority of them are coming from this dolphin capture and then are like shipped worldwide yes so um taiji now a, lo- a lot of places like waza so the world association of zoos and aquariums um has banned the import of Taiji's dolphins because of how brutal um, the capture process is. So yeah. luckily, luckily nowadays, most zoos and aquariums, if they're, if they're registered with Waza, then they do not now um, get dolphins that have been captured from Taiji. However, they still import dolphins from other captive facilities that may have um, been captured. It's, it, it's difficult because a lot of the times the paperwork has changed and um, you can't really keep track of where these dolphins have come from. But now, yeah, they are, they are breeding like artificial insemination is a huge part of, of the captivity program now. Um, And a lot of dolphins are, are being born in captivity, but that doesn't really make it 
any much better. it's kind of like the it's like the lesser of two very bad evils so yeah like exactly you'd rather, and yeah you'd rather neither but if you have to it's kind of like obviously you don't want to choose either but no the lesser if of two it's evils, yeah. if it's all they've ever known then it's it's slightly more acceptable but still like yeah. they they still don't have they're not real dolphins they then they will never be real dolphins because yeah they've never got the chance to live a natural free life where they hunt for their own food and they they swim for miles and miles on end in straight lines not just round and round in circles yeah no exactly uh so we we had previously talked about the trainers and how to separate the trainers from these people being or the people capturing the dolphins so we talked about that like the people working directly for SeaWorld and that obviously aren't the ones out in Taiji trying to capture mm-hmm. them but the trainers right. there are trying to capture them so it's kind yeah. of a you can't blame the trainers you're seeing but you can still have negative thoughts towards trainers almost I mean yeah it's it's crazy um to to witness these these trainers uh who claim to love the animals and care for the animals and and want them to to have um or to be safe and healthy and whatever um it's like it just blows my mind that they go to this cove where the hunters drive in these wild animals and then they help the hunters decide which ones get to survive and which ones get to die and i i Personally, I can't comprehend how they can be so selective and, and choose yeah, absolutely. some of them and, and and then send the rest of their family to slaughter. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it that kind of um, emphasizes even further how they are just in it for profit and not in it for, for the welfare of the animals. Yeah, no, it's totally like you're saying and doing two completely different things where you're like yes no I Mm -hmm. love these animals so much but you're slaughtering some and sending some to a life that you know is not awesome yeah well and how can you truly love something like that exactly last year um when we were in Taiji the biggest typhoon that had hit Japan in the last 60 years um hit when we were there literally the day we arrived and um we were we were stood in this typhoon not even joking like knee deep in water um with the elements battling against us and so much like we were just live streaming um this typhoon and they they have these sea pens in this bay where they keep captive dolphins um and they're training them um to then be sold on to another um facilities and the, these pens were just getting absolutely torn apart. Like, the, and the dolphins were in them. They were being forced into one corner, and all this debris and uh, like wood planks and and branches and and all sorts, all this trash was just in their pens and and destroying them. Um, they, and by the morning, there there was nothing left of them. And these dolphins were, were swimming around in the bay still. We, after the, the typhoon had calmed down, we saw them swimming in the bay. Um, but the, the trainers at the time of the typhoon, they, they eventually came down um, to, to check on the dolphins. But instead of like dropping the nets and releasing them, like they knew they weren't going to leave because the dolphins rely on, on the trainers for, for food. And they, and they know that now. And, and that's, that's where they get their food. So they, they don't leave. And that's why we saw them in the bay the next day. Um, 
but the, the trainers didn't do anything. They didn't check on the welfare of the dolphins. They um, just secured one of the other pens that was kind of drifting away and then left again and, and just didn't show any sort of emotion or anything. And it was just really, really crazy, crazy. Heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And it does, it's yeah. sad to think that these dolphins are so habituated that even mm-hmm. when they get a chance to escape, they know or they don't know that they should. Like it's, they are relying on you, them yeah. for their food and everything like that. So they don't yeah. get away. It's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And and then um, one of the dolphins, well, we think, like a, about a week later, we, we just saw this lone dolphin in the harbor. It, it breached. It just jumped out of the water and slapped down on the surface. And we all looked at each other like, was that a dolphin? And suddenly, yeah, we just saw him just swimming around. And we, we saw him the week after that and, and the week after that and a few days after that. Like He, he was just around the area. We saw him in, the, in a nearby village um, and no one had, had claimed him back yet. And he, like, it's, it's really important that um, even though I'm, I'm anti-captivity, I'm not... Um, I, I, I do not advocate releasing captive dolphins into the wild straight away. Like that's that's never going to happen because they no. won't survive because they've been so conditioned and um, trained and and they rely on humans so much. It's um, it's yeah they they need a whole re- rehabilitation program um, to desensitize them and and allow them to gradually adjust to to living life in the ocean again. And the only way you can do that really is is in dolphin sanctuaries. Yeah. Yeah, no, like releasing, like, as anti-captivity as you can be, you can't be pro-releasing them straight away mm-hmm. because that's just sending them out to die in a sense. Yeah. Like, it's almost just as bad because they're not going to survive and you know that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it was, we, we just, um, this lone dolphin, we decided in the end, he, he must have had some sort of health condition or something. Cause we did see some trainers like checking him over at one point, but then they just neglected him again and just left him. And, and we have no idea what happened to him. Um, oh, but they, they didn't, they didn't want to take responsibility for that dolphin, which is yeah, yeah. crazy when they, How when, disappointing. yeah. When you think they care for them and everything, it's yeah, really, yeah. really sad. I will say with the trainers, you do, you have to separate them a little, like not the trainers participating in the captures, but the trainers working with these captive uh, animals. It's awful. And we know that. And they're like, it's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to watch. But Mm -hmm. one of my friends actually works for SeaWorld and he says he hates Ah. it. He's like, I hate working for there. But he knows if he leaves that the people, like if the trainers leave, the people left in charge are going to be like, businessmen who do not have any sort of information on animal welfare or care about these animals at all so it's like if they're there you might as well have someone that actively cares and can take care of them that being said I obviously hate that he works there and I'm like ah maybe just like we shouldn't support it at all but yeah yeah I mean that's that's really interesting to hear like I I um it reminds me of um this book I read a few years ago called behind uh beneath the surface and it's by John Hargrove. Yeah. He was one of the um, ex-SeaWorld trainers from the documentary Blackfish. Um, but but he was kind of saying the same thing. Like he was 
in it for so long, even though he didn't agree with like the corporation side of things. And, and he was starting to see how much these whales were suffering in captivity, killer whales. Um, he then decided he was going to stay because he, he wanted to protect these animals and be the one who cared for them and, and make sure that they at least, uh, well, there was someone fighting for, for their like welfare. But yeah. eventually, eventually it did just get too much for him. And, and he, um, he realized that it was at the end of the day, it wasn't up to him. It's the corporations who own these animals. And at the end of the day, it's their choice where they, where yeah. they transfer them to, whether they separate their mothers from their babies. They, they put all these um, artificial pods together, um, sometimes with multiple different species and that pods that just wouldn't exist in the wild. And um, yeah, it's, it's not for the benefit of the individual dolphin. Yeah. It's, it's for the benefit of, of the, the company and the corporation. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, it is, it's all up to the corporation and the corporation's not going to like, until the demand for this is reduced, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not going to be any change because yeah. they're making money right now. And that's mm-hmm. all these people care about, which is terrifying almost. Yeah. Which is why it's just so important to, to show the, the start to finish um, process of, of how, how these dolphins ended up in, in captivity because absolutely. Yeah. Uh, people don't think I never thought about it before when, when I was a kid and, and, and a teenager, even I just, I didn't even think twice about what the dolphins do when the show's over and, and we, we've all gone home to our families. Like, but they, they just stay there. They swim round and round in circles and yeah. And that's it. It is their life. It is hard to make that connection when you're watching them, especially Mm -hmm. if you're watching like a show and these dolphins look so happy and they're performing. So you're like, oh my goodness, they're so happy. And it's hard to make that connection of what happens when you leave or even before Mm -hmm. you got there, where these dolphins came from. So I think what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing in that sense to help kind of form that bridge. Thank you. Yeah. Rick O'Barry always says that, um, the dolphin smile is nature's greatest deception because yeah. you you think that they're smiling, but obviously internally they're, they're crying for help. Yes. So you were mentioning dolphin meat earlier, the dolphin meat industry, the trade, mm-hmm. whatnot. Can we yeah. dive in a bit about that? Because yes. that's not something you hear about often. That's I've never heard of that. So Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Japan has been wailing for thousands and thousands of years and um they would all go out on rowing boats and they'd have someone stood on the coast to to look for whales and it was all a very sort of um almost like a tribal experience but it was very involved with lots and lots of people um and then they would they would capture the whale and they'd bring it back to the village and then they'd use the whole whale and um that that's just been tradition for japan for thousands of years um yes and that there's no disputing that really but it doesn't mean that it's it's right but yeah like i said earlier the dolphins um even though dolphins are whales technically they um have only been hunted since the 1960s um which coincides with the captivity industry and they have tried to mask uh hunting dolphins for captivity by saying oh we'll we'll um we'll sell the dolphin meat to to restaurants and supermarkets and it's, mm. it's interesting because Taiji is, is quite a remote place in, in Japan. Um, and people in Tokyo and, and all the big cities have never even heard of eating dolphin meat. 
Um, but in these like really remote um, villages, fishing villages in, in Japan, um, that's that's kind of where it's been most common. Um, but the dolphin meat is is really, really toxic because there's such high levels of mercury, PCBs, and, and now, of course, like plastic too in, in, um, mm. in dolphin meat. And because they're at the top of the food chain um, and all of these chemicals just increase and get worse with every... Um, as they go up every trophic level um that means the dolphin meat at the end is is yeah highly highly toxic and it can be really dangerous to consume um if you get mercury poisoning that can cause things like hearing loss sight loss uh, memory loss and it's it's really they they don't recommend um you should have a certain amount i can't remember what what the exact measurement is um but yeah, you're not supposed to eat it very often because it's so dangerous. And like they, they recommend that pregnant women and, and stuff like that don't eat it. Um, but the, the, so the demand for dolphin meat has completely diminished. Like we see it in the supermarkets um, wrapped up in plastic and, and it sits there on shelves. And sometimes if there hasn't been a slaughter for a couple of days, you'll see um, some of the older meat that, that came from a slaughter like a couple of weeks ago. You, you see it again on the shelves and you know that they're just freezing it and, and putting it on the shelves because they're not getting um, the sales. And it's crazy the price difference between captive selling captive dolphins, live trained captive dolphins, and the difference between selling a dead dolphin of, of meat. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, it's 150000 up to $150,000 um, per live trained captive dolphin but they only receive yeah. about $600 for a dead dolphin. So it doesn't sustain their, their, their livelihood. Like they, they need to capture dolphins to get enough money. Um, they, yeah. they, like if they, if they weren't capturing dolphins, they, yeah, they wouldn't be able to survive on the money that they, they make um, from the dolphin meat. So it's literally like, I, I see it as just a, a mask of, um, Japan trying to justify what they're doing. They and there's these documentaries that have come out in response to the cove. There's there's one called Behind the Cove, and there's another one called um, A Whale of a Tail. And they they are interesting to watch because it's like I found them really fascinating because um, I, I always want to hear the other side, and and I'm not um, opposed to having a discussion about it and and thinking about how they see it and and from their perspective. And the whole both of those films really really focus on the dolphin meat side of things, and they don't even talk about captivity and they um claim that the cove and and the western world is is kind of criticizing them um and criticizing their culture and their tradition and uh, they feel attacked for that when it's it's not that the case at all it's because of the captivity uh, industry and and that's a worldwide problem and there's like i said there's captive facilities all over the world um it's not just japan and even though that's where they're capturing the dolphins. The only reason we go there is to show from start to finish how it happens. And it's not because, yeah, it's not because we want to demonize Japan. Like Japan's an amazing place. Like it's such a cool country. And the people that I met were so, so lovely. And it's, um, I I went traveling a little bit afterwards and uh, me and my boyfriend, and we we went to this um, ramen place in Tokyo and we got talking to the lady um, behind. It was like a really tiny, tiny little restaurant. There's only about six seats in there. And we, it was at like a bar. And um, we were vegan. And so she um, made us this amazing vegan ramen. And 
she was talking to us about why we're vegan and um oh it's for the animals okay and so what it like and then we got talking about why we were in japan in the first place and we'd just been to taiji and um we'd seen all these horrible things like um i had some leaflets on me actually that were in japanese talking about the cove and where they can watch it and um this poor girl just burst into tears in front of me and couldn't believe it she had no idea that dolphins were being hunted for me or captivity in her country and she was in absolute shock and it really um yeah I don't know it brought it home to me that it's just like wow it's it's not all of Japan it's just this tiny tiny little community in Taiji um that, that are trying to protect this um industry for some reason and, and the rest of Japan, like, and, and more and more Japanese people are, are speaking out about it. Like, we, we do have a team yeah. of Japanese activists um, who are, who are, yeah, getting big, bigger and bigger. People are um, starting to speak out about it there, which is really important because I think it has to come with from within Japan to end the Taiji hunts. I don't think they're gonna listen to to Westerners. Or like yeah. succumb, succumb to like what what we we're telling them to do. I think it has to come from within, within Japan. Yeah, so and it, it is important to. Sort of yeah, it's something that you won't learn about unless you make the active choice to educate yourself. And mm-hmm. it's awesome that you guys have like activists that mm-hmm. group in Japan that's coming from their home country because it is going to be a little bit more like you're not doing this to demonize our country. You're yes. doing this because it's wrong for us Mm -hmm. to be doing this but it is one of those things that you won't hear about like I've learned so much just talking to you that it's kind of almost changed my perspective a little bit and not that I ever thought that this was a good thing but like I've just been so educated and it is one Mm -hmm. of those things that until you spend the time to educate yourself and learn more you're not going to know the true awful awful things that are going on yeah, and it's really hard to not come across as like a, a preachy activist and um, like a crazy animal rights yeah activist. Like, I I just I just really care about these dolphins, and I want and I know other people other people care about them too, and I just I want them to kind of see the light like I have and and do what's right by the dolphins. Um, yeah, and, and and yeah, all all animals really. If you, like you come off, if you ever sound like you come off as a preachy activist, it's because you have so much passion and care for this, which I think is never a bad thing. And it's you want to share your knowledge and inspire people, which you are doing. So that is awesome. Oh, thank you. So if there's people who aren't directly involved in this, what can they do to help out? Or is there anything that they can do? And where can they find resources to learn more about this? Yeah, so, I mean, the most important thing you can do is just not support any facility that holds any dolphins um, captive or forces them to, to perform or offers any, like, swim with dolphin program or um, they they sometimes uh, even run these, like, rehabilitation programs for, like, autistic um, children. They say the dolphins have these kind of powers to, to heal um, disabled people, which is just mental. Like, it's crazy how they, they try and market yeah, these things. But it's, um, yeah, the most important thing you can do is just not buy a ticket in the first place. Don't support these places because once they realise that people don't agree with dolphins being in captivity any- anymore, they won't um, ca- keep keep capturing them and, and keep supplying them. Um, and then, obviously, um, Dolphin Project rely 
on donations massively. So if you want to support any of our work, then then please do donate at dolphinproject.com. Um, there's loads of petitions you can get involved with. There's loads of um, Instagram and Facebook uh, resources on, on our um, profiles, but also on, on other people's. Like there's a whole community of people on, on social media who are fighting for this cause. Um, so just joining the community and attending any protests. I know obviously that's quite difficult now because public events aren't really happening. Yeah. But virtual events are. We, we had one just on um, on Saturday, actually. It was for 50 years of Lolita. Do you know about Lolita and Miami Seaquarium? No. So Lolita is a, is a killer whale. She was captured off um, the coast of um, the Northwest Pacific, off the coast of Washington in 1970. And she's alone. Well, I think she's got another dolphin in, in the tank with her. And she's at the Miami Seaquarium. She's been there for the last 50 years. And her family is still alive in um, in the Northwest Pacific. And, well, yeah, there's a massive campaign right now trying to, trying to free Lolita. Um, she's, in a, she's in the smallest tank in, I think it's the smallest killer whale tank in, um, in the world. It's, it's not even deep enough for her to, uh, like, stand vertically. She's she's longer than the depth of the tank, which oh is my goodness. just you you can't imagine that for for such a big animal who is used to swimming at great depths and and so many miles in the wild. Um, yeah, you just you couldn't fathom no. how no. awful no. that must be. So yeah, we had a we had a virtual event on Saturday, and um, people just took selfies and and held up a sign saying free Lolita and, and there's things like that you can get involved with we have one for empty the tanks as well um and all our resources about all of our campaigns and we've got a whole page of FAQs as well which go into like if you have any questions about um kind of specifics about Taiji or the captivity industry we have a whole page of FAQs um that you can access on dolphinproject.com and it should answer any questions that anybody has that is awesome if someone wanted to follow along with you or the Dolphin Project on any social media, where can they find you guys? Um, so I'm at mgray95, if anyone wants to follow me. And then Dolphin Project is dolphin underscore project. Um, yeah, on, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I believe. So uh, yeah, give us a follow. Yeah, absolutely. And check them out for some resources and continue to educate yourself on this. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. Always, always up for answering any questions that anybody has. So I love that. So definitely reach out to Molly if you have any questions. And Molly, thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot thank you enough for how much you've educated me and opened up my eyes. And I'm so excited to keep looking into this and learning more. Oh, you're and so I've welcome. loved having you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. You can follow along with Water Women on all our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Water Women podcast and on Twitter at Water Women pod. You can also check out our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca for some interactive activities and for a behind the scenes look at each podcast and the woman behind it. And until next week, stay salty. Mm -hmm.